Hello and welcome to Worldwide. My name is Neha Ramaya and in this podcast I hope to dive deep into the education and healthcare systems that are in place around the world, specifically third world countries, and also how some countries are dealing with COVID-19. So a little bit about myself, I am currently an incoming senior in high school, so I'm 17 years old, and I'm from California, but my parents are from India, so that actually makes up a huge part of who I am and is part of the inspiration behind today's episode, which is about India. And I hope to focus on a different country each episode and each week so that we can together learn more about some of the disparities, gender inequality, healthcare issues, and even the good aspects of these things that are in place across the world. So welcome to Worldwide. I actually, when I was, I want to say first grade, so probably when I was seven years old was when we moved to Chennai for a year. And that is in South India, if you guys didn't know. And it played a major role in how I look at education because like I've, although I was really young, I can still recall and remember a lot of the situations that I faced there. And as you'll hear later on, it's impacted me as a person for sure and also has motivated me to like educate myself and educate other people about some of the things that goes on in third world countries, which is a major factor in my involvement in clubs at school and also this passion project of mine, which is why I started the podcast. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you enjoy this as much as I do, because I really love like looking into things like this and just learning more, because honestly, there's a lot, a lot to learn. Okay, so in case you didn't, you guys didn't know, um, in India, students have to take a board exam, which is essentially like the SAT or ACT that we would take in the United States. And this test is like a measure of merit and it's widely accepted just like the SAT for entrance into colleges and higher education. So with their score that they get at the end of the year, like what tends to happen is middle class and higher class students and families If they get higher scores, obviously, they feel like this score is a measure and result of their just natural intelligence. But in reality, it's probably due to their status and ability to have better teachers in like a private school or better area. However, on the contrary, um, lower class families and students, when and if they receive a lower score, it usually results in like a feeling of failure because they feel that it's it was because of their inability to be smart enough that they did poorly on the exam, which is not the case. It's an illusion because the score is a direct result of access to teachers, schools, resources, and so much more. So that's a little bit of background information on the board exam. And also some statistics that I found were that were quite alarming. For example, 
only a little over 50% of children that are enrolled in India make it to class 12, which is the equivalent of senior year in the United States. That's That was surprising to me because it's quite a low number. And also um, less than half, so less than 50% of those enrolled in India actually make it to higher education, so college. And as you would probably assume, it is those who can afford like expensive private coaching that can advance to these like amazing engineering and medical schools that you hear about so often, like IIT. And sadly, it's so unusual that someone from a poor family can actually get through entrance tests like the JEE and NEET that it often makes headlines like on newspapers when they actually do. And these entrance tests, I know the acronyms are probably unfamiliar to you guys, but it's similar to like an MCAT that you would take in the United States or the bar exam for law school. So essentially when like a poor family or someone of lower class makes it through these tests and gets to a good school, it's really shocking. And that's that shouldn't be the case at all. It should it should be equal and it should never be surprising that someone can make it through. And I personally believe like education is a route that can uplift a nation and you know possibly lead them to becoming an economic powerhouse or just transforming the country in general and uplifting the poor. But I feel like if there's inequalities and especially social inequalities because the issues here are not always related to gender inequalities but it often is due to the class and like the caste and the area that these people live in and the access to resources that they have that are affecting their education and I just feel like if we can close the gap a little bit India can become a really powerful nation so personally in my opinion and also the right to education act was passed in 2009 and it was celebrated initially to be revolutionary because it gave and gives children the right to an elementary education which unfortunately was not there before and although this is quite uh, remarkable and obviously commendable i found like a few flaws within the act or law that I wanted to discuss. Essentially, in government schools, the teachers can still legally be asked by the government to take off from their work as a teacher and help the government do other tasks. Um, The possibilities are endless. It can be like helping them out with something, but these teachers can leave for months and months and the students just become isolated and uh, lacking with because they just don't have a teacher and they don't have someone to go to and someone to help provide them with the knowledge that they need. And that's a flaw within the act because it's still legal, like I said before. And this would therefore cause students to not experience the privilege that private schools have or private school students have because they have a full-time teacher. And it shows that social class and the type of school that you go to can actually play a large role in your education and the career and status for your future. 
So in India, basically, um, what I'm trying to say is if you go to a government school where your teacher is just like not there for five or more months, you can possibly do worse on your board exam or your entrance, entrance tests and then not be accepted into the college or medicine school that you wanted to go to. And this can affect your future, your career, your life, and all because of the school you went to and the money that you had. Whereas if you go to a private school with a full-time teacher, you're most likely able to access the resources you need to be successful. So it really depends. And it's sad to me that this is the case because where I live, I go to a public school personally in California, but there's like one of the most expensive private schools in the nation, just miles, a couple miles from my house. And like I have friends who go there and when we like talk about some of the classes and things we do, it's very, very similar, like very identical. Um, yeah, like the the homework load might be different and like the student to teacher ratio is probably a lot smaller in the private schools, but for the most part, um, we're covering the same information, but it's really not the same in countries like India where teachers can honestly just just like not be present at school and students are forced to teach themselves and it's these kind of differences that can really weigh a society down and cause damage and be a major factor in their economic and political power in the world so that's what i have to say about that also um i touched on this before gender inequality in india is not to the extent that it was before for sure but it still exists unfortunately for example, between 2006 and 2010, only 26% of girls completed secondary education compared to 50% of boys who completed secondary education. And of course, this would be more pronounced among lower income families. And this is also very similar with literacy rates. So about 65% of boys are literate in India, whereas 45% of girls are. And lastly, according to UNICEF, they believe poverty and cultural beliefs that cause discrimination against girls are major, major factors behind gender inequality, which I agree with fully. It's like when I lived in Chennai, I saw, you know, girls have to wear skirts, the little socks, have their hair in pigtails. It's these kind of like norms and rules that they're very small, but they can affect how a student looks at themselves and how they feel. And this is why actually a lot of a lot of people suggest removing uniforms to avoid any gender inequality or disparity. Um, but that's always like up for debate because there's benefits and um, negative connotations within it, um, with uniforms. Of course, also another barrier I believe that exists between genders in education in India is the lack of sanitation. So if you didn't know, there's a lot of schools that actually don't have separate toilets for girls and boys. So a major part of why girls drop out of school is because once they reach adolescence or puberty, they just, they don't feel like they don't have the resources and 
um, necessities to, or they just don't feel comfortable. So it's a major reason that they actually don't go to school, which I was unaware of until I looked into it. So that's definitely unfortunate and it's an easy fix. So I feel like that needs to change immediately because if that even, if that even helps one girl stay in school, it can change her and her family's life forever. And just like a personal story I have with gender inequality. So when I was, I keep talking about this, but when I was in um, Chennai for my first grade, I remembered there was a ranking system in place, which I personally do not agree with. And I feel like it's something that should not be imposed upon kids at such a young age. But there was a ranking system and... I remember just not really having too many friends, so all I had was like studying and just like focusing on my academics, which I really should not have been doing at such a like at seven years old, but I was. So I actually got first rank in my class out of I think 60. And I remember the teacher like announcing it in front of everyone and just like the looks I got and like no one was really clapping it was just kind of silent but when they announced like the second and third ranks which were both boys like everyone was super happy cheering like it was not really a memorable moment and it was something that should be celebrated but I I wasn't able to because I just didn't feel I didn't feel like I was worthy or I didn't feel it was just a it's a weird thing to describe but it kind of um it made me feel as if like like I was not normal so I don't and the fact that this was so recent about 10 years ago is really upsetting because it shows that even today things like this are happening to other girls and this actually like I also said in my introduction is part of the like it's shaped definitely shaped who I am today and it's major reason why I'm part of so many clubs at my school that focus on women empowerment and um, women's education and funding women's education because I don't want anyone to experience what I did and I don't want I don't want girls to feel like they can't or that they don't deserve an education or that they're you know meant for the home meant to take care of a family because they're obviously more than that so that's something I've experienced that's definitely affected me and that's what I wanted to talk about for education. But also, another part of this podcast is healthcare. So, I also don't know too much about healthcare, but I'm definitely learning along the way. Basically, to summarize, the healthcare system in India is primarily administered by states. So, essentially, India's constitution tasks each state with providing health care for its people and in order to address the lack of medical coverage in rural areas the national government actually launched a mission known as the national rural health mission in 2005 so 15 years ago and this mission specifically focuses on providing resources to rural areas and poor states that have health that have weak health services with hopes of improving health care in the poorest regions of India. And yes, this sounds very planned out and 
efficient and probably successful. It's not necessarily the case because there's always going to be discrepancies and exceptions and it's hard to get to everyone, especially with especially with a country that has a population of so many and the, a population that continues to keep growing. So I wanted to touch on the fact that healthcare between states and like um, wealthier states and rural and urban areas can actually be vastly different because um, more countryside and rural areas often suffer from physician shortages and disparities and like specifically states like Bihar often have less access to adequate adequate health care than residents of more affluent states like New Delhi and or not New Delhi is a city, but more states like up north. And lack of adequate coverage by the healthcare system in India is actually the reason that many Indians turn to private healthcare providers. And I for sure know about this because a lot of my family in India, they um, go to private providers because um, it's probably more safer and sanitary but this is not necessarily an option for everyone because it's inaccessible almost fully to the poor and to help pay for healthcare costs insurance is available and it's often provided by employers but but for the most part um indians lack health insurance and out of pocket costs make up a large large portion of spending on medical treatment in india so that's definitely a negative part of the health insurance and healthcare system of India is the fact that so many Indians lack it. However, um, one good thing is actually private hospitals in India offer like world class quality healthcare at like a fraction of the price of hospitals in developed countries, which is admirable for sure. And it actually makes India um, a popular destination for medical tourists, which is, which is good. And also I wanted to touch on physical reach, which is really important to me. And I think an important um, aspect of healthcare systems because, and it should be a basic determinant of access because the ability to be located or be able to enter a healthcare facility within like five kilometers of your home or work is essential and should be a measure of of your healthcare and your the success in healthcare. So using this actually, a study in India in 2012 found that in rural areas, only 37% of people were able to access a healthcare facility within five kilometers. That's very, a very, very small number. 37% is not nearly the percentage that it should be. But unfortunately, that is the case, and hopefully it has increased. I have yet to find more recent data, but that was in 2012. And this is sad because, like, the more, like, rural or countryside or far away, like, you live from a healthcare facility or bigger towns, the greater your odds are of having a disease, malnourishment, weakness, or even premature death. 
So there are definitely organizations and missions that are in place to improve the healthcare system in general. Many studies have actually found that a lot of the primary health centers known as PHCs lack basic facilities such as beds, wards, toilets, clean labor rooms for delivery, and even regular electricity. And I know this for a fact because my friend who's currently in college, she did some shadowing experience in Hyderabad, a state in South India as well. And she helped shadow and even like um, observe a government hospital. And she was telling me how it was so like, it was very dirty and like just like there was mosquitoes everywhere and it was smelly and like just not taken care of like she would she would say how like it felt kind of like a cave or a dungeon and it was not the best experience but she said that her work and shadowing in the private hospital just a mile away was so much different so it really it makes a difference and the these basic facilities like beds and clean labor rooms for delivery are so essential because it can affect so many things. So on the positive side, India has many dynamic biotechnology industries and world-class scientists and industries that help attract foreign patients and treat like citizens in India and just from all across the world. However, public health officials mostly, for the most part, agree that the country also faces constant and persistent public health challenges for the poor in specifically because child undernutrition and low birth weights often lead to premature death and lifelong health problems and other diseases like cancer high rates of road traffic accidents injuries deaths all these things are directly correlated with the money and status that your family has and it's definitely needs to change. And the country's rapidly developing health system continues to remain an area of concern just because there's such a disparity between between poorer and richer states in India. There's like just a big difference between even bordering states. So obviously these are trying to be more efficiently run and regulated. And I hope we can see change in the near future but it takes takes a wider audience to know. It definitely takes people to be more educated about the subject to cause change, as we've seen with the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. It's when people speak up, people share their information, people spread their knowledge that change can actually happen and we can see progress. So hopefully this is the case and some changes are made with both education and healthcare systems and gender inequality in India. Thank you for listening. This has been Worldwide and this has been Neha. Bye.